Good evening and welcome to Point of View. I'm Chris Berg. Thank you so much for joining us. We start tonight with some breaking news. The GSA just moments ago released the letter because the transition begins. The transition begins with the president. So GSA releases this letter saying, hey, we are now going to allow uh, Joe Biden get through the transition aspect of things for potentially president-elect Joe Biden. I want to share with you some of the letter from the, the woman at the GSA. I believe her name is uh, Emily Murphy because I, I think this is important, okay? Um, we all see what's happening across this country where we have the looters and people being threatened all the time. And so here's what she has in her actual letter she just put out on Twitter moments ago. And she says, to be clear, I did not receive any direction to delay my determination. So she's saying, hey, no one from the executive branch has told me to stop this or not do this sooner. Here's where it gets to be unbelievable, folks. Can we all just kind of cool the temperature a little bit here? Everyone's got COVID fatigue. Let's just settle down a little bit. She says this. I did, however, receive threats online by phone and by mail directed at my safety, my family, my staff, and even my pets in an effort to coerce me into making this determination prematurely. Even in the face of thousands of threats, I always remain committed to upholding the law. So the transition has begun per the GSA. More on this later in the show, because if you didn't see, Senator Kevin Kramer was on Meet the Press yesterday. He suggested, hey, we should begin the transition. <laughs> A lot of people are like, what? Is he giving up? No, no, no. You'll see the clips here in a moment. But I want to start here tonight. Minnesota Governor Tim Walls uh, held another press conference earlier today. This one was about a new COVID app that Minnesota has released. I'm going to share with you a little bit about what Governor Walls says about this COVID app. But before we get into what he says about it, let's just start here. Okay. Who was the first state in the union to have a COVID tracker app? That would be North Dakota, right? They continually talk about, let's focus on results, follow the science, follow the data, okay? If North Dakota was the first state in the union to have a COVID tracker app, how's that working for us? Right now, North Dakota's got the most cases per capita. Hospitals are, are bursting at the seams. Nurses are exhausted. We've got the highest death rate per capita. So again, if we're going to follow the data, and North Dakota was the first state to have a COVID tracker app, and it really hasn't done anything to mitigate the situation. Yet now Minnesota comes out and says, hey, we're going to have our own COVID tracker app. Why would they do that? Why would you create a COVID tracker app watching a model right next door to you that has done nothing to mitigate the situation, to eradicate the situation? I'm asking you to think critically like we do often on the show. Why would Minnesota go create a COVID tracker app? I'd love to know your thought on that. I've got my own opinion, my own point of view, but I want to hear from you tonight. So here's a little bit about what Governor Wall said about this COVID tracker app earlier today. It's being used by about 20 states now. And what this does is, and I, and I have done it, 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 is, it is painless, it is free, um, and it is secure that you download a dashboard. I have exposure detection on. And what will happen is if I go take a test and the health department, will, we will then get a code that shows me that I've had it. I'll put it in and it will then notify everyone who was around me within a six feet radius for 15 minutes or more that they've been exposed. Randomly, there's no data tracking, there's no data collected, there's no data sent to the Minnesota Department of Health, nor to Google, to Apple, to anyone. It is simply a random key that's generated that uh, Commissioner Tomes will explain the specifics behind it that guarantee privacy, but give you another tool to know. So you were on that patio and you were eating and you don't think there's any reason to be concerned, you could get a notification. Now, I want to be clear to Minnesotans, this is an opt-in alternative. You don't have to put the code in your phone, and you don't have to notify others that are around you. I would 
strongly encourage, if not beg you, please do so. It's random. People deserve to know if they've been exposed to COVID-19, and then they have a responsibility to make the proper move then. Get yourself tested. If you're positive, quarantine, and then we can notify others. This is not contact tracing. This is not in and of itself going to stop the spread. It's another valuable tool that helps us do that. Another valuable tool. How valuable is data these days? He just told you, hey, it's completely private. You know, it's going to keep you anonymous. And it may to a certain extent, but let's be honest, every phone has got its own, what is it, EIN number, its own sort of code that's associated to it. So if it's pinging your phone, you know, somebody knows something about what's going on there. May not trace exactly back to your name, right? But they got the data. That's the power in this situation. And again, I ask you, if, it, if there's been... No data, no results to really show that the COVID tracker app is going to actually mitigate the situation. Why would Minnesota invest in one? I think you know the answer, but I'd love to hear your point of view. I think I know the answer. Speaking of someone who may have needed the COVID tracker app, I say that somewhat, you know, just to say, hey, do these things really work? Uh, Adam Thielen, he's going to be on the reserve COVID list. Doesn't mean he has COVID. He's either potentially tested positive or been in close contact with someone. So I just want to let you know that because the Vikes somehow lost to the Cowboys last night. Now, some other news here. Governor Walls also announced that he could potentially call a special session. He's very uh, upset, he says, about what's happening with small businesses across the great state of Minnesota, obviously with the workers as well, because he shut the whole thing down. <laughs> I don't know what he expected to happen, but when you shut down an economy, things don't go well for the businesses and for the workers. So he may call a special session, try to come up with some sort of state package to help um, ease the pain. Here's what he said earlier today. And what I'd like to say is the package that we're going to be uh, putting out tomorrow, that we are prepared along with cooperation with the legislature, I'm prepared to call them back into special session and pass this package immediately. The sooner the better, the relief will be there. Some of the things that we're able to do is sales tax forgiveness for businesses that sell food and beverages, waive state regulatory fees, um, exploring direct relief for individual workers, one-time food grants to businesses to provide food to health care workers, help homeless shelters and long-term care facilities. This is the best that Minnesota can do, and it makes financial sense. Create a state tax credit for food donations in the hospitality industry uh, and elimination, elimination of the COVID-19 Minnesota fund expiration date. So there's going to be more on that announcement tomorrow. Hopefully we'll help mitigate some of the challenges that businesses are facing, workers are facing across the great state of Minnesota because of this shutdown. Okay, now at the top of the show, I told you, hey, GSA has now announced they're going to open things up for the uh, transition for the different administrations from the Trump to the Biden administration. Yesterday, Senator Kevin Kramer was on Meet the Press with Chuck Todd, talked about um, his point of view on the situation, Chuck Todd asked a question about, hey, you know, doesn't this make America look bad on the global setting? Because it seems like it's undermining the integrity of our elections. I thought Senator Kramer did an outstanding job on that. Great interview. There was a part where Senator Kramer suggested, hey, yeah, the transition should start. It seemed pretty benign to me, but then a lot of different places ended up grabbing that headline and throwing it everywhere. And some people were emailing me and texting me and not happy because they thought, hey, is Senator Kramer not fighting hard enough? I think he, if you watch the full interview, he's fighting very hard. He's simply saying, look, if this were to take place and there becomes a President Joe Biden, we've got to make sure he's got the appropriate information to keep everybody safe and secure. So I want to play a little bit of this for you um, just to give you some context because people were upset about the last part of this. Here's some more context to it. Then we're going to bring in our special guest. 
Well, first of all, what they're claiming is that there's a lot of evidence and they're presenting that evidence in cases. Now, it's up to them to present that evidence, Chuck, obviously, and we've yet to see a real hearing where evidence was presented. And and they're not obligated to present it at, you know, yesterday or tomorrow, although the sooner the better from my perspective. But I'm just speaking strictly now from uh, this attack on democracy, as you call it. This is, these are legal systems. This is, these are processes that are in our Constitution, in our laws, and they're not just appropriate, but they're really an obligation, frankly, to the millions of Americans that President Trump is a reflection of. I know you, you know a lot of people like to think that we're the reflection of him. He's a reflection of millions of people that want to see him fight this to the end. Now, there has to be an end, Chuck. I, I agree. There has to be an end. Yeah. I frankly do think it's time to, well, it's past time to start a transition to at least cooperate with the transition. I'd rather have a president that has more than one day to prepare should Joe Biden, you know, end up winning this. But in the meantime, again, he's just exercising his legal options. So that was yesterday morning. A bunch of media outlets are going after Senator Cameron. What? Why is he not fighting? Well, then now today we just mentioned what the GSA did with their letter. Here's a tweet from President Trump right after the GSA put the letter out saying, hey, I want to thank Emily Murphy at GSA for her steadfast dedication and loyalty to our country. She's been harassed, threatened and abused. And I do not want to see this happen to her and her family or employees of GSA. Our case strongly continues. We will keep up the good fight, and I believe we will prevail. Nevertheless, in the best interest of our country, I am recommending that Emily and her team do what needs to be done with regards to initial protocols and have told my team to do the same. One quick note before we bring on our guests. I just saw Jenna Ellis, the attorney for Team Trump. She said there's going to be an actual hearing in the Michigan House tomorrow regarding the election, so we'll see if that bears any fruit. Now, someone who's been following all of these legal battles, all of these lawsuits very, very closely, she's a paralegal, she also hosts the show, uh, Mexican Crossing Lines, is Cindy Gomez-Shemp. Cindy, welcome to the show. It's great to have you. Um, look, there, there's a lot of moving parts with all these different lawsuits. I know you've been following this very, very closely. So for a layman like myself, what do you think is the most important thing our audience should know regarding these lawsuits, the recounts, and what President Trump's legal team is trying to do? Um, well, one of the things that uh, Kevin Kramer said that I think is really important is that we haven't gotten a chance to see them in court presenting evidence. And there's a reason for that, uh, because evidence isn't just what we as lay people think is evidence. In court, there are rules of procedure and there are requirements before something can be called evidence and before it's accepted by a judge. So far, in the cases I've been following, for example, the affidavits that uh, Kelly McEnany and the Trump legal team were talking about recently in the uh, presser that they had, um, they were not accepted by the judge. And the reason why they were not accepted by the judge was because according to Trump's own lawyer, many of these affidavits had been falsified and they had called the group of affidavits for those they knew were, to, were false and had submitted the rest saying to the judge they did not know if the ones they were submitting were false or not. And of course the judge said that's not a standard uh, that would yield evidence that I can consider to be validated, checked for you know factual content, and um, we're not going to accept them. So one thing that people need to understand is that the rules of evidence and acceptance of that evidence are much higher in a court, and the same goes for the lawyers. By the way, even Trump's legal team, uh, pre-existing legal team and advisors, were not happy that Rudy Giuliani, by default, ended up taking the lead. 
he doesn't have election law experience. And you would expect the Trump legal team to have an expert in election law. Now, they did have some uh, people that were going to be, um, I guess, leading the team, like David Bossy. But then, of course, COVID got into the legal team, and they had to go with the backup of Ellis and Powell and Rudy Giuliani. And frankly, the last piece of uh, information I think that people need to consider is what they're saying in front of cameras and the press and what these lawyers are saying in the courtroom. And those are two very different things because when these lawyers are alleging fraud and alleging crimes against the Georgia governor, saying that Kelly Loeffler shouldn't be in the runoff, I mean, some of these allegations are, you know, they're pretty wild. Uh, even uh, Fox News's Tucker Carlson, Newsmax reporters, Chris Christie, his advisor, and many others are saying this uh, team and what they presented in the court is a joke. So give us, give us that distinction real quick, because you're, you're suggesting, I want you just to complete that thought, that, hey, outside the courtroom, they're saying, you know, there's, correct me if I'm wrong, you're a massive fraud and we can prove it. But then they get in the courtroom, they're going, yeah, sir, we really judge. We really don't want to present this <clears throat> as fraud. Is that is that accurate on my part? And that's exactly right, Chris. I mean, the judge has pressed uh, after they give their opening statements. And, you know, when we give an opening statement, you can basically kind of wing it and say what you, you know, hope that you're going to have as an outcome. But when it comes to presenting your case, uh, that's when the judge can, you know, ask you point blank. What are you alleging? Did, are you alleging uh, fraud here? Because you're talking about fraud, but your complaint doesn't say the words fraud in it. And Giuliani had to say, you're right, Your Honor. It's not in the complaint. We're not alleging fraud. Because if he were to lie to a judge, what happens? You could be disbarred. Uh, and, you know, there are other sanctions that have already been uh, put on this legal team. For example, uh, having a case dismissed with prejudice, it's pretty rare. I mean, I, in my entire 20-year career, I had never seen a case dismissed with prejudice because usually you can fix your plea and re-enter it. This judge said, we don't want to see you here again. Don't come back. And the other thing is that... Cindy, where, where was that at? I'm sorry to interrupt you. Was that in PA or what, what lawsuit was that? It was one of the recent ones in Pennsylvania. Yes, it was the Pennsylvania one. It was dismissed without prejudice by a federal judge. So he doesn't want to hear this case again. The likelihood of the Third Circuit um, accepting this case to go forward was pretty flimsy to begin with, just because of that. The second thing is that the judge also awarded um, the, the fees of the other side to be paid by the loser. This is something that not all states allow but where it is allowed is it's meant to be a deterrent from lawyers bringing cases that have no merit, such as these uh, decisions, I guess, if you will, by the court to allow them to collect uh, on the other side if they lose is, is, you know, is a sign that there's not a lot of confidence in this uh, case win. Yeah. As I said uh, earlier, too, Michigan House is supposed to have a hearing tomorrow. We'll see if that bears any fruit. But Cindy Gomez-Champ host of a Mexican Crossing Lines. Great insight. We really, really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you very much. All right, coming up at the end of the show, there are some people suggesting that Joe Biden
could be going after your Second Amendment rights. We're going to talk about that, but coming up next, of course, is your points of view. A lot of great stuff from uh, you as of late. So please email us, text us, leave us a voicemail. What you heard just, just now, we'll be right back.